Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games games released each week. You can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus. Hey, folks, welcome to the Michael Steele podcast. Yes, it's Michael Steele. I survived the 4th of July and the tanks and the crazy on the mall, which actually wasn't that crazy because the president, you know, was actually presidential. Uh, But anyway, I survived it. And here we are for another wonderful session. So glad you could join us. Catch me on uh, Twitter, of course, at Michael Steele. And you can download this wonderful podcast at uh, Stitcher, TuneIn or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts on. Well, I'm excited about today uh, because I got a guy that I've, I've had the pleasure of working with. I've been on his program uh, before and uh, on the Dean Abadalas show on Sirius XM Radio Channel 127. Um, and he's been in the news lately as, as he would like to say, fighting the good fight. And guess what? He's winning. He's winning. Dean Abadalas is <laughs> a lawyer turned writer and an award-winning comedian. He also hosts, as I said, the Sirius XM Radio's daily program, The Dean Abadala Show, on Sirius XM Radio Channel 127. Uh, you can follow him online at deanofradio.com. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's so. It's Dean of Radio, but I like Dean Ofradio better. Um, Dino Radio. Or the, the best thing on Twitter is just Dino Bidala, but no one can spell my last name, so it hasn't. That wasn't the most shrewd choice of names for Twitter, unfortunately. So, Dean, welcome, man. It's so good to have Thanks, you brother. on. It really is. So, let's. Where do you want to begin? This this is guest choice. You go where you like to go today, as we as we are in the space post Fourth uh, of July and all of the fun uh, frolicking stuff that was going on there. You've got. Alex Acosta, Jeffrey Epstein, you've got a monument, you've got Congress, you've got Trump. Brother, you pick. <laughs> That's great. I get to spin the wheel. And let me see. There's so much. First of all, on the July 4th, uh, maybe Trump was presidential to you. To me, he was comedy gold. I mean, when he talked about the Revolutionary Army, Continental Army taking the airports, well, that's... which... And they say conservatives aren't funny. You see, although he's not really a conservative. He's just a Trumper. He's a Trump person. But that spurred... A, a, a waterfall on Twitter of comedy memes about the Battle of LaGuardia, onward to JFK, and Paul Revere saying one by land, two by sea, three by air. I thought it was great. So I have to thank Trump for that. And every now and then he makes us laugh, unintentionally, of course, but of course. we need that in these times because he's aging the crap out of me. And the truth is, Michael, his last, I'm not kidding, his last physical, his blood pressure 
is lower than mine, and mine is higher because of him. Right. This is the problem I'm living through right now. I mean, this is horribly unfair. There should be a medicine, some kind of medication or a, a government program that if Trump is stressing you out, you can take these Trump-be-gone pills or Trump control or Trump-zack. I'm not sure what you call it, but we need something. I can't take it. Uh, but on the real issues to me, the big, one of the big issues yeah. is the fighting in the Democratic caucus now with Speaker Pelosi, and I wrote about it for CNN because I write weekly for CNN, yeah. how you had Speaker Pelosi come out publicly say things to Maureen Dowd at the New York Times, and then AOC, she went after four members of Congress, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and Ayanna Presley, and then AOC and Ilhan, and not Rashida as much, responded on Twitter, and today, Speaker Pelosi said, no more fighting on Twitter with each other. You, you you started it. You started it in the New York Times. I mean, this is off the charts. Why well, are you dividing New York, York caucus? Times, not Twitter. She started the New York Times. Right, exactly. She went, oh, she went legacy media. That's right. She did that. That's that you right. have to do that. But, I mean, what's shocking about this is that Speaker Pelosi's philosophy, and I actually agree with it, is that she says diversity is our strength and unity is our power. And I agree with that. And by her, the speaker, unforced telling a reporter from the New York Times, it's columnist, Things about sort of dismissing them. They only have four votes, and they use that public whatever, which she meant Twitter. Well, I, I, there's no need for that. There's no need for that Well, stuff. no, there, there may not be a need for it, but there has been a space created by none other than Ocasio-Cortez herself. How and mm -hmm. why? Well, you, the day after you are the, the you know, member-elect to the United States right. Congress, what do you do? You go to Washington and you protest outside the speaker's office with a bunch of protesters. All right, so you don't think that that's going to send a message to the sitting, to the incoming speaker? Because everybody at that point knew that Nancy Pelosi was going to be speaker. Despite all the crazy protestations to the contrary, right. there was no one that was going to take that spot from her. They woefully underestimated this woman in terms of her sheer raw ability to shape and mold that caucus to her will. And she did. She's now speaker for the second time. And you're yep. going to go take your behind on a cellar down to Washington, D.C. and protest outside her office. And don't think there are going to be ramifications downstream from that. Come on. Well, I think they actually were getting, it seemed like they were actually getting along. After, <laughs> I, no, recently. they weren't. No, they weren't. No. Uh, oh, you don't think so? So no. I couldn't tell. But it, it did not bubble into the public yet. But the other part of this is the idea that. You have now 80 Democrats in the House, per CNN's count, who support impeachment. And more importantly than that, and I, I don't really care. I, I care what elected officials say a little bit, but I'm much more focused on the base right. and the grassroots of our party because I think that they've been ignored for too long. And there's an inherent elitism in the way we are dismissed. And I find common ground party with conservatives who on the, the base for years felt the same way, and then they, they changed their own party. Right. But the idea is that you have a Gallup poll came out July 3rd, 81% of Democrats, 81% support impeachment of Trump. You can't get 81% of Democrats to agree on anything. So that's the high end. The middle, le middle level of polls, 65% support impeachment of Trump. But on the high end, a new poll, 81%. And the idea that you have Speaker Pelosi being dismissive to the base just quickly well, to act like we don't matter. It's, it's I, you know, I don't want to be in the crazy position that I have found myself over the past year actually defending Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi after having thoroughly whipped her in 2010. <laughs> but here we are. She's, I mean, look, I mean, what you, what you want and what you can do and what's politically smart are three very separate things. 
And sure. what, what you expect from the leader of your party is to understand the intersection of those three things. And when they don't intersect, I don't care if you've got 100% of people wanting to impeach the president. If it is politically and practically not there, why would you open up that Pandora's box when you know the incumbent president is sitting there going, oh, please impeach me, please impeach me, because that takes every all the other bullshit that I've been putting out here off the table. Because now, guess what I've got? I've got a I've got a badge, I've got a sword, and I've got a shield, and I'm going to come after you, and they're all impeachment. And so why, why, why not be smart and tactical as right. she's trying to be? I get it, but you can't placate that desire because that di- desire I, is not practical in, in terms right. of what you can actually get done. Here, here's the thing. I, I don't want to sound like to people that I hate Nancy Pelosi or I think she's a dino or whatever you want to call it. I actually have a great deal of respect for her. I I compartmentalize my views on people. Like, I don't like that she's not having impeachment. The big deal, it wasn't a big deal, her fighting with the four members of the House in that little snide way. I think they'll get back together. It's not a big deal. But not doing impeachment, I, I disagree with her fundamentally on that. And I don't think, first of all, I think and we don't have to rehash the whole thing here, but I think constitutionally and legally that's the right thing to do. I also think politically it's the right thing to do. I also think Donald Trump is petrified at impeachment, he regardless of what he says, because he said about it's a dirty word, why are you saying it? In fact, to the point where the Republican National Committee, Congressional Committee, just did a poll in four swing districts that they revealed to the Politico showing how unpopular impeachment is in certain key districts. Why are they doing that? Because they fear impeachment as well, because America gets to see everything laid out. And I have the most confidence in my fellow Americans. They see everything. We're, we're going to find out what happens. I just want an impeachment inquiry. I don't want articles of impeachment tomorrow. I want it laid out over six to eight months. You have witnesses testify. Cause it, it takes Congress six to eight months because they work three and a half days a week in, con- in D.C. <laughs> and they take the entire month of August. Yeah, well, no, I know math, members of Congress right. personally. They, they work. They do work in the district. I want to be clear. Well, it's not do. like they go home. So, But it's going to move so slow because of that. And if at the end there's not enough evidence to draft articles of impeachment, I completely respect the Democrats to do that. And I also say this on my show, and, and most of the listeners that I speak to agree, if we push Speaker Pelosi to do impeachment, and we did it, and it backfired, and we lost in 2020, well, we're going to say we have no one to blame but ourselves. We did this over what she wanted, but we went down fighting, and we feel good about doing the right thing. But if she prevents it, well, there's going to be a you. lot of backlash against her. She's going to... If, if she prevents it and Trump wins re-election, she will be gone as speaker. She has to be gone as speaker. Well, let me tell you how that scenario doesn't play out, because I've been in that space where you're forced to do something that goes against your political and business instincts in this particular mm-hmm. situation. And then you do it, and it blows up, and they use it against you. I mean, it doesn't blow up negatively. It blows up in a good way in that, hey, you won the election. But, yeah, now you've got all this debt that you created that you didn't want. And everybody, when they run against you, use that against you. So that's, that's anyone with any degree of political acumen knows that the truth of what you just said is not realized because the politics overwhelms the moment in a loss where, where impeachment can be the identifier of why, Repub- why re- Republicans take back the House and, and hold on to the Senate and reelect president in 2020. 
mm-hmm. there's there's not a self-respecting Democrat on the planet who sit there and go, well, we should have listened to Nancy Pelosi. Nope, they're going to throw that back up in her face, and they're going to yeah. say, if you had done impeachment earlier, if you, if, or if you didn't do impeachment right. at all. I mean, so, that's, um, so she's got to calculate all of that, and she's got to weigh it. And I think her instincts, knowing them as I do, having right. dealt with her— um, and having been bested by her at several <laughs> points, she she got Obamacare done, for example. Um, right. I think that she has a better sense of the moment that of what she can and can't do. Now, you know, I agree with everything else you're saying in terms of the the idea of an inquiry. I mean, and, and but again, it's so fraught right now. The politics are so poisonous, and the passions are so high. How do you avoid? This becoming a friggin' circus. Um, that, well, you can't, but you, there's no way to. You That's know just what life. Republicans that, are going to do. You know exactly right. what Republicans are going to do. Well, if Donald we're see Trump. with Mueller next week, they're going to go crazy <laughs> when he testifies. They're going to ask her, "Why didn't you Hillary's email right, and right. Obama and Fast and Furious?" So I, and they're going to go back in time. Jimmy Carter did something. Why didn't you look into Jimmy Carter right. in 1978? I like understand. it's going to. But through that, through it all. Certain media narratives come out, and you hope that the Democrats are able to present things. And I will say there have been many people who call my show or progressives going, Democrats will never execute this well. Like they want to be right. going, if anyone's going to screw it up, we will screw it up because we have so little confidence in ourselves. And that you're going to have these members of Congress who don't understand the media or they understand, but they don't really get the narrative. They don't know how to play the game, and it loses, we lose that battle. But, you know, Trump. There's all different ways to fight him. I like the idea of having an impeachment inquiry for six to eight months. Let him whine about that for six to eight months. We will control the media narrative to a certain ex- extent, doing the right thing, laying it out. Let him fight. Let, let him, like yesterday, two days ago, he, the lawyers from the White House objected 200 questions to Don McGahn's aide. Right. Let them do that on national TV. 200 times, no. Objection, objection. And let the American people see witness after witness where I, I can't hear the question because White House counsel is telling me not to. Or White well, House counsel goes, objection, objection, objection. Still- and let the American people see that. And however it plays out there, it's fine because I'm, Michael, I'm being sincere when I say if after the inquiry there's not enough evidence for articles of impeachment and we see that, I'm completely fine with it. I'm like, yeah, you don't, no, don't force that. that. Don't I force that. that. But I just, I just know... I know the, the, the playground that Trump has now created. He's the one right. who's placed all the equipment on the playground, from the slides <laughs> to the merry-go-rounds to the swings uh, to the sandbox. They, he owns them. So some of those swings, all the screws aren't so tight. So when you start swinging, baby, guess what happens? <laughs> the seat comes well, off. That, that you know, another issue, but another issue now, Michael, is bubbling up because of the Trump administration and he has limited control, and I think all Republicans have to be concerned. And it was yesterday there was the court, the oral argument in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals yeah. on the ACA, where Trump has joined the 20 GOP states to strike down the ACA. And it uh, seems yes. two or three judges who are Republicans seem to be indicating they are on board to strike it down because of the, the individual mandate is gone. That right. was the and tax and their, argu- and their argument is the Supreme Court, Justice Roberts, has already made it very clear. That's why he's upheld it. Um, because of the mandate, but now that the mandate's gone, right, you don't no, no longer need to uphold it. So you're going to have so people m- next summer. This very well could happen, depending what happens with the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. But if they do what I think, and they do a split decision, two to one, and they uphold the lower court and strike down the ACA, meaning everyone out there with your pre-existing condition coverage, it'll all be gone. If that case continues up the chart and continues, 
if it's reaffirmed, if it's affirmed by Supreme Court, or keeping your kids on a policy at 26. Insurance companies can put caps back on people's policies. They can charge older people five times the rate of lower of younger people. We go back to the world pre-ACA, and I'm a lawyer, and I used to be a lawyer for a big insurance firm. I mean, we represented big health insurance companies. Right. And I could tell you what we used to do to people when we had the pre-existing condition exclusion. We'd subpoena every record you were ever treated for. If you were coming in for a big ticket item like cancer or something, and if we found you were treated one time ever and you didn't put that on your application, we would rescind the entire policy based on fraud. And we should not go back to that place. It was an awful place in this country. And Trump is going to, you know, at his kickoff last month, he's like, I'm the champion of pre-existing conditions, while at the same time, they're literally arguing on his administration behalf to get rid of the ACA. That's going to be, you know, polling shows Americans think Democrats are more in tune with them on health care. I think they are. And I think that becomes the, 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 the issue going into the fall. And good luck for that. That's a tough one. Well, no, I agree with you on that. And the health care issue, as we saw, stung Republicans in 2018 um, and, and for a variety of reasons. But I think most especially because of our repeal and, pra- uh, re- repeal and replace position for the last seven years. <laughs> We had neither. So, there, you know, when you have this space, candidates don't want to talk about this. Republicans still don't know um, what the outcome ultimately will be by their actions uh, because they've been saved from themselves by the court so far. But if you if you now, to your point, Dean, find a space where the courts begin to side with the administration and the Supreme Court if it's consistent, says, all right, well, no more mandate. Guess what? We're back to pre-Obamacare America. Um, Then you're going to see a lot of Republicans on the horn next year talking about a subject in which they literally at this point have no voice because the American people do not see Republicans as credible on health care. And if at the moment they start getting a notice from an insurance uh, carrier saying, now that we are in this new space, we're re- reevaluating your coverage and we're reevaluating this and you no longer qualify for that. All hell will break loose by next September, October. I think people may have forgotten. Some did not. But people literally lost their homes to pay their health care. Numerous people went to bankruptcy. Yeah. And the idea of the penalty for older Americans that was the world that they could charge five times. They were charging older Americans five times what they were charging younger people. And if you got sick, they raised your rates. But because of community rating of Obamacare, the ACA, that was gone. And that was really a great thing. So, look, health care should probably be the issue of 2020, no matter what. Plus, there's always a referendum on the incumbent, as we all know. So that'll be a part and parcel of it. But the number one issue, if it's health care, it's such a winner for the Democrats. And then I think they go to if we win the Senate, but, they get rid of the filibuster rule. And if we win it, get rid of the filibuster rule and pass some real some kind of version of health care for all. Slow, I'm not sure exactly what it would be. Slow down my, 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 my little padwan here <laughs> on, on the health care issue. So I, I don't know how much of a winning issue this is going to be for Democrats in the main when you've got folks like Kamala and others who either aren't very clear, don't know, or are hiding the, you know, what they ultimately want to do versus other Democrats on health care who are basically saying, no, we want to take away private insurance and create right. this, uh, this one-size-fits-all health care system. Uh, I, I don't know how that's going to play. A lot of people like, they, they love the Medicare for All concept, 
the mm-hmm. practical reality of Medicare for All is you don't get to keep your doctor. The way it's being discussed by many on the progressive uh, left right now, should that be the prevailing view, how does that play out for, for a Democrat a presidential nominee like a Joe Biden or Kamala Harris who tend to be... Well, certainly Joe's case, not down that road. Kamala right, he's all, not. all over the road. Um, how does that then play when Trump is sitting there? Because here's my point. You've got Democrats now, Dean, who are arguing for basically undoing Obamacare to go to a Medicare for all, to go to a sort of Warren Sanders kind of health care system, which is not mm-hmm. Obamacare. Right. My point yeah. is the irony of 2020 could be Democrats trying to undo Obamacare through Medicare for All and Republicans, ironically enough, defending Obamacare in some weakened form. That would be interesting. And you, you make a great point because there are different versions of what are Medicare for All. And, and if people have time, if you're like me, you, you have nothing else to do in your life, um, go to the Kaiser Foundation. It's nonpartisan. Yeah, and they Kaiser's analyze kind of all the competing – right, they have all the competing – Versions and one is Medicare for all. The Sanders version is really replacing all of our private health insurance. It's just gone. It'll be it gone. You could have it for elective coverage in a way, sort of like Canada, like you're going to get a plastic surgery or something right, like that. Right. But it would really essentially be gone as we know it. Then there's other versions where you could keep your private insurance as long as it matches certain minimums, which would essentially be like Obamacare minimums, and that's your choice. But there's also be a public option where you can buy into Medicare. There's other versions that are like extending Medicare down eligibility from 65 to 55, or even lower than that, to 50, and let people buy into it without diluting the, the benefits of Medicare. My mom's on Medicare. She loves Medicare. Right. So there's, but I, if you're going to articulate the one, get rid of private health insurance, you better study that really well and come up with a really good talking point. Go work with Frank Luntz if you have to, and come up with something good, because it is a proposition that ultimately might be the best thing, but if it's not explained well, it'll be disastrous for Democrats. It'll be ultimately disastrous. And that's the problem with that one. It's such a tough, such a big-ticket sell. That's why Medicare for All and letting people little by little become more eligible for it over time is an easier sell, going, well, now instead of 65, everyone's eligible at 55. And if that works, we'll do a stress test in a few years, we'll go down to 50. And before you know it, 45, and at the end of the day, you can still have your private health insurance, but there's many, many more people taking Medicare for all. Right. Well, well, we saw what happened with Obama's. You can get to keep your doctor, uh, and and so the same the same is problematic for uh, the Democrats. Sorry, that's fake news. That, I don't remember that quote. You that's fake news. That quote? Yeah, I yeah. remember. Sorry. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm kidding. That quote's been used a million. That was actually a political fact called it the lie of the year. I wrote about it a few years ago. They literally called it the lie yeah, of the you year. Call it, you call it what you want, but I I know what. People people saw and what people thought. I know, yeah, that was a bad one. And so here, again, is the idea of, oh, well, yeah, you get to take, we'll take away your private health insurance. And that's where this thing kind of gets a little gnarly for both Democrats and Republicans on the health care issue, which is why nobody is doing or really wants to do anything about it right now. So let me, let me, let me put you, have you put your legal cap on you. You are a lawyer. Sure. uh, and, And so you know, Uh, a little bit how our judicial system works and our court system. So we've got a couple of issues that are are dancing now in the courts, one of which just came out uh, as a decision uh, by the Federal Appeals Court, uh, which sided with the president uh, Mm -hmm. in dismissing a lawsuit, uh, I think, was brought by North Carolina and Maryland 
um, that the president is illegally profiting from foreign and state government visitors to his luxury hotels here in town and around the country. Um, this is the emoluments clause. And right. uh, it was a unanimous ruling uh, by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. Um, and it's, it wasn't on bunk, meaning the entire circuit, but it was just a, a portion of that. So there's a, a, a potentiality to appeal it. Uh, to the full to the full bench. What's your take on this emoluments clause? And and the issue here was standing. That's where the court came down, basically saying that the the plaintiffs didn't have standing. Essentially, who does uh, on this question of emoluments? Um, if not those states that have been impacted by uh, a diversion of resources to one central location, because that's where the president happens to be hanging out. It's, it's interesting who's going to have standing in this. I haven't read the decision yet. I just saw the headlines and then looked at the article quickly about it. But, you know, standings, you need to have a concrete – it has to have a concrete impact on you. It's got to be real. It can't just be anyone could bring a lawsuit for any reason because our courts would be flooded. They're already flooded, but even more so. And I'm sorry. It was, so, it was D.C. And, and Maryland. I'm sorry. It was D.C. Right. The district in Maryland. Yeah. And, the, and what the court said in this opinion, and I read headlines quickly, that essentially that their position was so abstract, I think was the word they used, right. the court, that they didn't have a real case and controversy and real standing to bring this lawsuit. doesn't mean someone else doesn't. And they're not. While it's a win for Trump in this case, it is a win in this case. Uh, it doesn't get to the merits, and that's what happens when you have a decision based on standing and you dismiss a case on that. You don't get to the merits of, is this a violation of the Emoluments Clause or not? And I'm not sure who's going to have that standing. You know, there's other lawsuits, if I remember correctly, is the House suing them and other people? There's others that are – someone's going to have standing here. Well, I mean, or, what's the point of having in the Constitution if no one has standing to bring a lawsuit for a violation? They could be about that it's not a private remedy. It's more something that should be done politically, internally with Congress. Oh, hell no. I mean, that's, that's, that's <laughs> the all, that's, I haven't read the decision, so I'm just telling I, I you know, that I know what you're my, saying, my you gut know is, is that remedies. you're going to see that's potentially the answer. That Because unless they articulate specifically in this opinion who has standing, um, and they just say these guys don't have standing, they're not being helpful. They go, the right person who has standing is this person's actually hurt by it, perhaps – Another another hotel owner in the area who's lost business to the Trump Hotel because people want to curry fair with Donald Trump and said, hey, last year I made – before Trump came, this was my business. Now Trump's president, and I've lost this much amount, and everyone's going to Trumpville over there because if you spend money there, maybe you'll get a better deal on from Trump policy. And so that person probably is the most concrete standing, just off the top of my head here, because then you're looking at who's got the most – who really is personally really, really impacted by this. And it's going to be others who are losing money in the area, perhaps. That's just one. So, so basically the, the Four Seasons and the Willard Hotel have to bring the lawsuit. <laughs> and they're probably not going to. Of but, course not. And, and they might not have lost money. I mean, they might be doing fine. No, they're not. They're not. Not really. So, I, that was one of the first things out of the box uh, uh, about uh, four or five months after Trump's inauguration was the fact that a lot of these um, uh, hotels were booked. Like the Four Seasons was the diplomatic hotel in Washington to stay at. That's where every diplomat mm -hmm. who was worth their salt w when they came into town would stay. Not anymore. So they lost all that wow. business to to the Trump Hotel. Same well, I think they would have standing I, I, without doing a legal analysis. Right. I don't have a law clerk. So it's, 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 but. I was going to say, it's just, like it, it. no, it just, it's interesting to me because this question, when you have these sort of nebulous uh, issues uh, like emoluments, you know, that are constitutionally based, 
the standing question is always one that sort of bites people in the ass. And you're sitting there trying to figure out, okay, where, who does have the ability to actually bring uh, the requisite remedy or seek that remedy um, if, you know, if they don't, if this person or this group doesn't. Usually does? it's the one that, right, because look, at we have a First Amendment. And if I see someone else's First Amendment rights being trampled, and they're clearly being trampled, I can't bring a lawsuit if it's not affecting me. But if my First Amendment rights are being trampled by the, the government, then I'm the one that has standing to bring that lawsuit. Because there's a big policy decision here with the standing. The idea of standing is not to log – our courts are already log-jammed. But to have it where everyone who wants to bring a lawsuit for any reason, especially political reasons, is just bringing a lawsuit after lawsuit to bog people down. And people do that, but they get dismissed for lack of standing. That's why even with the border, when they were doing the lawsuits for the – to stop Trump's emergency declaration, uh, you know, one of the plaintiffs, I recall correctly, were people own property that were going to have their property taken by a new border wall. Right. And, and there's the most direct impact. It's your property being impacted by the federal government. You, of course, have standing. So that's the challenge there. So now the Democrats in the House do have their own lawsuit. I'm not sure if there's going to be a standing issue for them or not. Right. But clearly the other hotels, if they're impacted, I think they're the best case right there. All right. Well, no one's done this. No one filed a lawsuit. I'm reading this quickly. And I remind me, I remember talking about it on my show with Danny Stavallis from MSNBC. Right. I'm sure you know Danny. Right he comes Danny, on weekly. Yeah. And we talked about this in the past and that nobody's ever brought a lawsuit trying to enforce the emoluments clause. And no matter what, Trump has taught us a lot about our Constitution about things we never read about before, from right. can a president pardon themselves <laughs> right. to the Emoluments Clause? Can he pardon? You know, there's so much conflicts of interest. What's the emergency powers? And the, the powers of Congress to enforce their own subpoenas. We've learned so much because we have a guy who's broken every norm possible. Where all of a sudden we realize the paper tiger that Congress really is, and also the paper tiger that the Constitution is if no one's there to enforce it. Because well, it's just on paper, a... does nothing. So we're all learning. We've all gotten smarter. Yeah. We can all sit for the bar exam now. Yeah, we can. We can. But here's the here's the rub, Dean. The tiger, the the Congress is a paper tiger because it's made itself a paper tiger. The Constitution doesn't take any power away from the Congress. It empowers them. They're just sitting on their ass and not using it. They they allow a lot of the stuff to go on, going all the way back to how they've uh, afforded administrations to prosecute wars that aren't mm -hmm. wars because no one came into the well of the Congress since since FDR and actually declared a damn war. But the Congress cede that authority by funding the per the president's uh, agenda in that respect. Uh, and, you know, these, you know, sort of, oh, yeah, these AMUs, you know, we'll just sort of authorize you to sort of do this for a period of time. And, okay, if you want to sort of use it 10 years after it's expired, that's fine, too. You know, so the paper tiger created itself. Well, look, but when they go to push back, they realize their weaknesses because the president has much – it's just every time that Congress doesn't stand up or do something or push back – that the presidents take power. Democrats and Republicans, they want to be as powerful as they can. Sure. I understand that. If I was yeah. president, I'd do the same thing. But we learned it about the, the federal emergency statute when Trump declared an emergency. Then you go look at it, and you're like, oh, my God, the president can veto an, an emergency declaration by both the House and the Senate, like a bill, as opposed to them being able to stop it. They had a vote on a war powers resolution to stop Trump from being involved in Yemen. He could veto that as well. So while Congress is doing their job, unless they can get to two-thirds of either chamber, which is really tough in these, the world we live in. And also, the, I mean, I would have thought, and I'm, I'm not, tell me if I'm naive, but I thought some Republicans would have some institutional sort of 
uh, allegiance and stand up to Trump more. And they did. You had a majority. <laughs> but I thought like a few that maybe on war powers. No. Go, look, you're, you're prosecuting a war in Yemen in our name with our tax dollars no. helping Saudi. And they'd go like, we are all going to override the guy's veto and make this a test case for the Supreme Court. And they didn't. No, of course not. You know why? Because they're more afraid of Trump's shadow than they are of, of, <laughs> of actually doing the job the right way. You know, they don't want Trump to tweet about them. They don't want him to endorse their opponent in a primary. They don't want the president to, to make them a mockery because, God forbid, they know how to mock the president back. I mean, this is not you want to you get down and dirty in the schoolyard, baby. Let's play, you know. But these guys can't do that because they're one note, and it's Trump. That's the only note they know. And so when you have someone like, I mean, if you want to get a sense of the a Republican Congress and Senate, I give you two what two words, Justin Amash. Mm-hmm. And he's gone now. And he's I mean, gone. He's independent. They ran him out. They ran him out of the party. It, it, you know, it's like how dare you challenge Donald Trump? And I like Amash. We both have Palestinian refugee fathers. His father was a Palestinian yeah. refugee, and my father too. Yeah. And he's a hundred percent Arab heritage. Right. I, I'm, I, he, my mom's Italian. And it mom was one of the co-founders of the freaking Freedom, Freedom Caucus. <laughs> He, and he and I wrote about it for CNN not too long ago, and maybe even the Beast about the guy got an award for Matt Schlapp Thank you. just a few years ago for conservatism, and his score was like 10 points higher over Lindsey Graham. Right. So it was not about allegiance to conservative principles. So, it was about allegiance to Donald Trump. Right. I said the same thing on MS on Joy show or Kendrick Gibson show on Sunday, that it was not – look at his scores from conservative ACU and others. Thank you. They're way, one of the best out there. Right. One of the best. So and it's no longer they, about allegiance to conservative principles. It's about allegiance to Trump. That's so scary. And they crap all over him. They crap all over him. They run him out of the party and they wipe their hands of it and they go, see, we are the defenders um, and you need to get in line with where we are. So principle, ideology, uh, values, uh, all of those ideas that were the cornerstone of any policy uh, and certainly girded politics, um, that doesn't matter anymore. So I, I you know, to expect anything different um, in this environment from a House or Senate uh, Republicans, I think, is and we'll see this play out, as you already referenced uh, next week, when you've got um, Robert Mueller sitting in front of uh, Jim Jordan. It's going to be very interesting to play. And the worst thing is it's during my vacation, meaning that whole vacation day is ruined. Because right. I'm going to have to watch this. <laughs> I can't, like, not watch or at least not listen on my, my phone to it. So the whole thing, and I'll be screaming. I'll have a headset on right. by the beaches screaming. Right. Like, what's wrong? I'm like, Jim Jordan's questioning. I'm just, what, that's what's wrong. Mark Meadows is doing what he does. So it ruins one vacation day of my own. I'm only taking three off, and that's one is gone because of this. So. It'll be that. It'll be that. So i got one more legal goodie for you. And. And this sure. one, this one is depressing as hell and just unfortunate. But um, you, you've got the president now coming out and supporting, defending Alex Acosta, who is, uh, you mm -hmm. know, his embattled secretary, uh, who's been out there tied up in this uh, Jeffrey Epstein crazy. Um, right. And Epstein, as we know, was arrested over the weekend uh, for and charged with uh, uh, sex trafficking, dozens of young girls. Uh, as young as 14 years old, going back now about 10 years, of course, um, you had uh, Epstein, who pleaded guilty to procuring a, a person under 18 for prostitution and felony, got basically a, a, a wrist slap 
yep. um, by the lawyers at uh, Kirkland Ellis, I believe is the firm. And um, what, what's your take on how this narrative plays out? And, of course, you've got more and more allegations, again, bubbling around the president and his sexual uh, proclivities and mis- misadventures. Where, yep. Where... Well, first of all, Trump, I mean, it's very hard. Does the public care about any of this? Or we just, have we gotten like the Brits where a good sex scandal is just another episode to watch in the evening news? Well, this one is such a dark. This is not the normal sex scandal. This is with children. So this is horrific. You know, on my show last night, we talked about this, and I wasn't sure if people would call or not, and the phone lines exploded on this topic. And, of course, they were progressives, but it's because of the intersection of Trump and Jeffrey Epstein and that it's very hard to believe, and this does not make Trump criminally liable, but it's very hard to believe he didn't know what was going on with one of the victims was a 16-year-old girl well, he he who worked at Mar-a-Lago. He admitted worked, that uh, Epstein liked them young. He's right, and, and he said that, and, and when he said that, and he's a lot of fun to be with, I'm looking at his exact quote, it's even said he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side. That was in 2002. Trump was not referring to 25-year-olds when he said that. He knew they were teenagers. Right. And according to court filings, Virginia Roberts, first, she was working at Mar-a-Lago. She met Epstein there and went to his house and, and then was at one of the victims. I, I doubt it was the only one. I don't know to what extent Trump knew about what was going on. And then you had Alex Acosta involved in all of this, who was the U.S. attorney at the time. And Fox News yesterday, it was too funny. They had a segment where they blamed Obama, saying his attorney general had to sign off on it. The deal was made in 2008. Obama didn't get sworn in 2009. But everything's Obama's fault yeah, on Fox course, News. I love Fox News because <laughs> when I watch Fox News, what's crazy, Hillary Clinton is president or Obama's president. They kind of alternate days on Fox News. So it's kind of great. But this story, I don't know if it does anything more than remind Trump to those who don't like Trump what this guy's about and that rich and powerful men have gone away with wrongdoing um, against women. And I'm not suggesting at all that Trump had sex with 13 or 14-year-olds. There's no allegation. No, There's one allegation no, that disappeared. No. So I'm not saying that. But, you know, you listen today on the Today Show, one of the victims spoke out directly to the camera about what happened. And she talked about Jeffrey Epstein. And it was not consensual. And he didn't wait for her to consent. And he did what he wanted to her. And you can't help but think of the Access Hollywood tape. And even though it's a different age group, the idea of these wealthy billionaire guys, these white white privilege on steroids that they can do anything they want to women they don't have to wait for consent and get away with it i think it's going to harken back to many about donald trump there's a reason he's polling so badly among women trump i mean he's he's really pissed off a gender and i don't see that dying down between now and election day i could be wrong but i don't see it dying i i I, I agree with that but you know what a significant number of them voted for him in 2016 and whether you liked hillary clinton or not uh, I just, I, you know, I, I don't think this resonates the way a lot of folks think it does with women, uh, because I just, I, 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 you had Access Hollywood, you had the allegations at the time, you had women coming out of the yin yang, saying that Donald Trump was inappropriately, uh, inappropriate sexually with them, et cetera, right. et cetera, and yet they still went to the polls and voted for him. They still, you know, Roy Moore. Uh, Donald Trump embraces him, then finally goes, oh, well, maybe and not so much, and everyone's like, <laughs> but still. And and everyone kind of looked the other way. So I just don't, that's why I, I really am concerned about how women go forward in this environment. Now, yeah, you're getting all this exposure. These stories are coming out. But we saw with, with uh, the Kavanaugh hearings, 
They're easily dismissed. You have people grandstanding against these women, making them prove out, prove the allegation. Beyond, you know, it's like, okay, we're not going to accept it just because you say it, but at the same time, let's give it some degree of credibility. Why don't we just automatically believe the guy? And you're right. This, I think, is different because it involves young, young children, young girls. Right. But it touches all the same chords in some respects, and I just don't know how people ultimately will digest it. I think that's my question. It, it'll be interesting. I mean, Donald Trump got about, I think, 52 or 53% of white women in 2016. Yeah. And then in the midterm, from me quickly looking at the exit polls while we're speaking here, um, it looks like white women, and I recall this, less voted for Republicans. Not dramatically less, but no, still enough like 49%. less. Exactly, it's 49%. So I'm looking at that number, so I got the right number here. So let's quickly look at it. So it did go down a little bit. And I think that around the election time, there were those who could easily, much more easily dismiss <laughs> Trump and the women coming but forward Dean, as being politically motivated. But Dean, it, that's 49% after everything over two years. I know, what can you do? Come on, There's not, dude. Now, to me, Rob Porter was one... To me, the Rob Porter incident was one of the worst things, where he showed no compassion for the two ex-wives who came forward and said they were beaten by Rob Porter. One shot the picture of the black guy, and Trump just wished her well. They didn't wish her well, wished him well. And yesterday about Alex Acosta, it was the same thing. I played it on my show where where Trump literally said, you know who I really feel bad for? And I thought he was going to say the women. He goes, Alex Acosta. He pauses and he goes, Alex Acosta. I'm like, nothing for the children who were sexually abused? And because rape, a predator, not a word a that? predator only knows how to protect another predator. They're not, yep. not, not going to sit there. You don't hear the lion go, damn, I'm sorry I ate that gazelle. I'm really sorry. <laughs> you know, I, sh- I shouldn't have done that. And, and, the other, and the other lines around are going, dude, why would you do that? That's awful. I feel bad for the gazelle. No, their attitude is, where are the rest of them? And that's the problem. They're not, I mean, so, again, knowing what we know and seeing what we've seen, I don't know how this plays out to the point where people are so repulsed that they go, you know what, this is not something we want. Even even sort of harboring, harboring these attitudes that protect these, these predators that the president's expressed, we want that anywhere near the White House. I just don't think people are going to look at it that way. Well, it's a long way to now on November 3rd, 2020. I, I, I'm oh, looking I forward I agree. to see... To what happens and how this plays out. The Democratic nominee, obviously, you can put Trump against generic names or names on a piece of paper until you have the actual nominee and they start going head to head and people learn about the negatives of the Democrat as well. We'll see how this plays out. Yeah. I, I cannot put it past. I've talked to Republicans and they're like, Trump's going to win. I'm like, you're an idiot. You don't know. You can't say that. I live in the real world. Yes, he could win. He could also lose really badly. I mean, he really could lose horribly if things, if the economy in a year from now, which is saving him is up to an and I'm not wishing for this. I've been very clear. I do not wish for a recession just to beat Donald Trump. But say unemployment's at 4.2 or 4.3% and trending upwards, that hurts a president. If you look at re-election years, trending economies have a big role. So if it's trending for the worse and the Democrat has more traction on that, it's one thing. If the economy stays where it is, it's going to be much, much tougher to beat. And that's objectively speaking. If that's part of it. That's a big part of this. Yeah. Well, we will see, my friend. Uh, I, I I appreciate your your insights on this. And Thanks. I l- especially appreciate you coming on and 
uh, having a little bit of a conversation with the Michael Steele podcast family. And uh, it's always great having you around, Dean. I love, I love, look forward to coming on your show too, man. I'd love to. Sure, no, I'd love to have you on. I got a podcast now. It's called I Want to Be Your Muslim Friend. You have uh, to convert uh, Islam to be on it. I'm sorry, Michael. Although I we would love it. to have you. I mean, I, I you'd be it, a bro. high draft pick. If we could get you <laughs> no, as a Muslim, it. you would be. we would trade a whole bunch of other lesser Muslims for Michael Steele. <laughs> you don't have to be Muslim to be on it. I'm kidding. But it. All right. Nice chatting with Michael. I hey, appreciate it. You take care of yourself. So that's the one and only Dean Abadala, folks. He hosts the Dean Abadala Show on Sirius XM Radio Channel 127. Definitely check him out. And also, don't forget to download us on all your fa- favorite uh, locations for your podcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or wherever. And follow me on Twitter at Michael Steele. Catch y'all next time. Out. <laughs>